Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. If you got your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 20. And uh, last week we finished up the second part of the previous message which uh, the last two points were, our attendance to the house of God should be after the Lord's pattern. And then number three was our attentiveness to the word of God is strength in our lives. And again, so important to see our Lord's example. If you're a Christian here this morning, then it's every single one of our jobs, every single one of us, we have this responsibility to follow our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that, you know, here's, here's where we get off a lot of times in, in our lives as Christians is we begin looking at other Christians and saying, I don't think it's that big of a deal that I do this or if I go there or if I be a part of this or if I miss that or if I'm not doing this or whatever because so-and-so has done or so-and-so doesn't do. And there is something big to say about leadership and example in that. However, our supreme example and our leader is Jesus Christ. And so when we are taking this journey with him through scripture and we see his examples, we need to take very close, pay very close attention and take heed to that. We need to make sure that we're following his example. Again, his example in going to the house of God and his example uh, that we see in the importance stressed in the word of God. And this week we're going to continue, come even closer to the culmination of this study, which is of course um, the end of the chapter or the end of the book, but um, something very, very, very important and also interesting that we're going to see this morning, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to do it. So let's pray, and we'll get into this. Father, thank you for this time again. We thank you for uh, the sweet time of worship that we've had so far, Lord, uh, just your spirit moving already throughout uh, this place, and we thank you for that answered prayer, God. We've been praying for that, and we ask that you just continue to move, uh, Lord, that we would step out of the way and that you would have full reign that your word would go out, this message would go out, and we would take heed to it, and it would impact our lives, God. And if there's someone here that is lost, that they've never placed their absolute trust their entire life in your son's hands, God, if they've never trusted you for salvation, I pray they wouldn't leave this place uh, without making sure uh, that is settled, that matter is settled, their eternal destination. And God, we pray that um, you would just be glorified in all this, Lord. Work in our midst, work in this message. And we'll praise you for that, God. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In uh, 2011, in New York, there was a 14-year-old boy who um, was coming home, and he, and he called the fire department, called 911. And he, the reason why he did this is because he saw what looked like a chimney fire coming from his chimney when he got home. Um, I guess he told his mom what he did, and his mom uh, quickly try to cancel the call. She tried to call 911 back and say, hey, don't, don't come, we don't need you. Uh, but the fire department, already on their way, already coming to check out what was going on. And when they got there, the woman refused to let the fireman in her home um, to check out what was going on and make sure everything was safe. But the firemen went ahead and came on in uh, to do their job, to, to look at and investigate uh, what was going on. Now, this was... Again, against the homeowner's desire. And uh, I, now I talked to our very own Justin Apple, our resident firefighter, to make sure about this. We had a little conversation about this. I put a couple scenarios out to him 
just to see what would um, be the case if he was in this situation. And um, basically, these firefighters must have had some type of um, insight or expertise. Of course, they have expertise, but some type of insight um, to disregard this homeowner's refusal of letting them in. They must have known something, seen something, uh, suspected something, and so they still went in and investigated. They had to have that. Now, this brought about a legal question and a legal battle, and, and I didn't read the rest of the article to find out about the legal battle because that really wasn't the whole point of reading this article. Um, but it brought about a, a moral question on top of this legal question, and I, I got to thinking about this. If, if you have someone who's an expert in something, they have absolute expertise, um, and they have this outsider's perspective. They have something, this uh, objectivity. And not only that, they have, they're subjective to this as well because they care about the people that they're engaging, engaged with. Uh, they're, they're, they're concerned about their welfare. If that's the case, why would you question? Why would you challenge their authority? Why would you challenge their expertise? Again, not saying that the firefighters are smarter than the woman who may have had a simple fire burning in her fireplace. Not saying that those firemen, you know, had this absolute authority just to barge in and say, listen, this is what we're going to do. I'm not saying that at all, but they had to have had something. They had to have some type of insight to say, well, that smoke doesn't look normal, or that looks like it's coming from a different place than just right out of the top of the chimney, or that something. And so um, to refuse them, to refuse that expertise, to refuse that help, uh, some people say it would just be crazy. Why would you refuse help from somebody who is trying to just ensure your safety and even ensure the salvation of your life from these flames? This morning we're going to see that that's been happening for a millennia in the kingdom of God. But the stakes in this flame or the stakes in this situation are eternal. And um, I want you to look in, in your Bibles in Luke chapter 20, and we're going to see what it's talking about. In verse 1 it says, It came to pass that on one of those days as he taught the people in the temple and preached the gospel, the chief priests and the, and the scribes came unto him with the elders. Now we've, we've already seen that Jesus has been in the temple. Again, we've seen this the last couple of weeks that um, he, he overthrew the money changers and he stayed in the temple. Again, we see our pattern of what our attendance to the house of God should be because of Jesus Christ. And it was his custom to be in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He was daily in the temple after he had cleansed it. And uh, now we see him here still in the temple. It says on one of those days that he was in the temple, he was teaching the people and he was preaching the gospel. Again, the, the affection that he had for the people there, the affection they had for the house of God has been completely uh, made known. But I want you to also notice there that what he was preaching. He wasn't preaching psychology. He wasn't preaching uh, feel-good things. He wasn't, he wasn't preaching anything else but what we know as the gospel. But in the Greek, it has a different word. It's a little bit harder to say in our English language. But the word is euangelizo. That word simply means to announce good news. There's another word that derives the derivative of this Greek word. The, the Greek word is made into what we know as evangelize. 
And so that's euangelizo, evangelize. And so, again, it means to proclaim good news. Now, when you look into the definition, it talks especially about declaring, bringing glad tidings or preaching the gospel. Jesus is in the middle of the temple that he loves with people that are focusing on God, focusing on God's word, and he's proclaiming good news. It's the exact same word that we see the angels doing at the pronouncement of Jesus' birth. They were bringing what? Glad tidings. And that's what, the, that's what the same word is. They were pronouncing the good news that God had come to this world. But we see these temple officials, these, these leaders of religion, these people that are in the temple every day as well, the, these heads of what is a man-made religion, they, they come to him, to Jesus, this one who's proclaiming hope, this one that's proclaiming good news, not bad news, but good news, they come to him for a reason. It's not because they're excited about what he's saying. It's not because they're interested in, in, in the message he's preaching. On the most part, they're not. But they're coming to him because they oppose it. They oppose the message that he's proclaiming. And it's good news. This message is good news. I mean, we have these conversations in our lives sometimes and we say, uh, okay, so I've got good news and I've got bad news. What do you want to hear first? What, sometimes, depending on your, your makeup, sometimes people say, give me the bad news first so I can end the conversation with the good news. You know, I can deal with the bad news and I'll be lifted up by the good news. Some people say, I want the good news. Because honestly, that's what we want in our life. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We want every day of our life to be that perfect day. We want, we want good news all the time. But it's so interesting that here Jesus is standing in the middle of people who are supposed to be seeking God, proclaiming good news, and they want to stop him. They're opposing this message of good news. Our point number one is this. The gospel has and will always face opposition. We've talked about this before in, in uh, this journey with Jesus, and we've, we've brought this point out before, but I, I want to I bring it out again and, and make sure that we see this that it will always face opposition. There's no time that the gospel will not face opposition. There's no time that it will be popular in a system of the world that's run by the enemy of God. Did you get that? The gospel will never be popular, never be a time that the gospel is popular in the system of the world that's ran by the enemy of God. It will, it will never be popular. It will never be received well in a sinful world. It brings about opposition. The enemy is opposing the good news. The enemy wants to make the good news look like bad news to people who need it. And so he'll do everything he can. So what, what did he do in Jesus' day? Here's God in the flesh, the Messiah sent from God. The only way for salvation to be had is through him. He's standing there proclaiming good news. And the religious leaders want him stopped. The religious leaders want him to, to, to stop preaching this good news. I think that's so interesting. It's ironic. It, 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 it's, it's something that uh, in, in our day and time would seem to blow our minds as logical, rational, educated people that somebody would want to stop somebody from saying good news. We've got enough bad news in the news. We've got enough bad news in our lives. Why would we want to stop or not share good news? 
And that kind of goes into even us today. As, as I said, the gospel will always face opposition. It, it will never be like all of us running out into a field of flowers and, 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 and saying, Jesus saves, and, and everybody around us coming running and gathering around with us and saying, yay, Jesus saves. The world, you know, everybody in the lost world coming and, and joining with this, this march. You know, it's, it's not going to happen like that. And so as the representatives, as the ambassadors of the kingdom of God who've been entrusted with this good news, this amazing, life-changing, life-saving, the only news that saves, the power of God unto salvation good news, we've got to share that. We've been entrusted with it, and we've got to share that. But why, and I've said this before, why is it so difficult for us to share this good news with people that really need good news. Why is it so difficult for us to do that? I've brought this point up before and said, you know, we can, we can talk about sports. Um, I can see somebody in an Oklahoma Sooner. Ugly shirt, sweatshirt, whatever, and I've seen them. And, and, and I can say, how's it going? Y'all are getting lucky this year. No, I mean... <laughs> I can, I can talk about football or I, I can, you know, we can do those things and, and we can have conversations with people like that. But when it comes to simply saying, hey, I've got the best news that you'll ever hear in your whole life. Why is that so difficult? Why is it such a battle for us to have a conversation with somebody about the greatest news that has ever come to mankind? I mean, think about that. Not about the Cowboys winning a Super Bowl or the Rangers winning a, a World Series or, or, or anything like that. That, that's, that's cool, but it, comes, it doesn't come anywhere near the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, this is the greatest news. It's eternal news. It's not something temporal like cowboys or, or rangers or, or longhorns or, or anything like that. That's all temporal stuff. And so why is it that we have this difficult time sharing this amazing eternal news with people in this world? Because the gospel has always been under attack. That's why. The gospel has always and will always be under opposition. The opposing forces of God, Satan's forces, battle every single day. And so when you and I get up and we think, man, I would love to be a vessel for God today. I would love to share the good news, the great news, the amazing news, the life-changing, life-altering, eternal gospel of salvation with someone today. And when it comes down to the rubber meeting the road, it becomes difficult. Like, I want to do that, but why is it so hard to do that? Because Satan's battling against you. Satan's battling against us. Just as he was battling against the Lord himself in the temple, as these religious leaders stood up and walked up to him and opposed what he was preaching. It would seem like it would be the most exciting thing to hear. You don't have to do anything to gain your salvation. God made a way for you. He died for every single sin you have committed and would ever commit. And you can be redeemed. You can be bought, purchased from the grips of sin, from from the punishment of an eternal lake of fire. I mean, this, this is what God has done for you so you would never have to experience one second in a place that he designed for Satan and his followers. That's great news. That's amazing news. You mean that I, 
I don't have to try to be good enough. I don't have to clean my life up. I don't have to pray enough. I don't have to go to church enough. I don't have to get to a certain place in my life for God to hear me so that I could go to heaven. No. If you need salvation, God made a way. And it's free. You have to accept it. You have to trust him alone. That's amazing news. There's a lot of people, just like these religious people that were opposing Jesus as he was preaching the gospel, a lot of people still today think that there are things they can do that are going to get them to heaven. And they're lost. They're lost in that. Paul said, if I add to the grace, then I've frustrated it. If I, if I try to do something and make it about my works, then I frustrate the grace of God. Make it void. This amazing news has and will always face opposition. And therefore, I think that we, as the people of God, the ambassadors, the only delivery boys and girls for the gospel, the only ones, I think we will always struggle with sharing the good news. As ironic as that is, I think we'll always have a battle in sharing the good news. Because Satan doesn't want the lost to be saved. Satan doesn't want to see people's lives transformed. He doesn't want to see God build his kingdom because Satan's interested in building his kingdom. So it will always be difficult. So if you're here and you're a child of God and you're thinking, I'm just kind of waiting on my time for it to become maybe a little more easier. I'm I'm waiting to, to get a little more comfortable. I'm going to tell you this right now. That time will probably never come. What it takes is this, for every, starting with me and every single person in this room, what it takes is a step of obedience. It's a step of faith and obedience. That's what it is. Because there's not very many people in this room, there may be some, who can just talk to the, the fence post, and, and it doesn't matter. I mean, you love talking to everybody, you love, you can, you can have a conversation, you can just bring up a conversation without no problem, and there's maybe some people like that, and, and praise God, that's a, that's a talent, that's an ability, that's something that he's blessed you with. But for the most, of, most part of us, in relationship-type people, we, we, it, it takes a measure of, of getting comfortable before we start having some really serious conversation with people. And so we struggle with having that eternal conversation with people that we don't know or that we just met. So it takes a step of obedience to say, I love this person and this soul that I don't even know. I love it more than my comfortability. I love this person more than I love being comfortable in my convenience. And the reason I love them like that is because God loved me and he put his love in me. And somebody else one time, once upon a time, loved me more than their own comfortable state. To share that good news with me. And so I've got to take a step of obedience. I've got to step out of this comfort zone. I've got to set aside my fear because perfect love casts out fear. And I've got to go in the love of God and trust God that I'm just going to share this good news with this person. And just like it was for me and just like it was for every person in here who's saved, it takes a choice. You give them the good news. You share it in love. You, 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 you pour yourself out there and giving them the good news. And guess what? That's it. That's what our responsibility is. Then it's that person's job to accept or reject, just like it was for me and you. Jim Morgan said, if you have no opposition in the place that you serve, you're serving in the wrong place. 
Again, we can look no further than the, the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. He faced opposition in his entire ministry. I mean, even from his own people. Somebody he selected. Judas betrayed him. Peter. I mean, look, look at the things that Jesus faced. He faced opposition from the very religious people of his day. We're going to face opposition if, listen, here it is, if we're in the right work. If we're in the right service of the Lord, we're going to face opposition. So many people today are searching, and, and, and you've heard me say this before, but so many people are searching and, and fighting, even in their Christian lives, to find a place of comfort. And I, I want to I just want to find a place that I can serve in the church where it can just be easy and, 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 and I don't have any problems, I don't have any issues with anybody, and, and I, I don't have any, nothing. I just, want to, I, just want to, I just want to go there and serve and there be no problems at all. You're, you're going to be looking for a long time. If you're in the right place where God has you, unfortunately, because we see this in Jesus, we've seen it all throughout the church's history, when we're in the right place, a lot of times, that's where we fight, face the most opposition. Jesus standing in the temple, proclaiming the good news. He was the good news. He was the Word incarnate. You couldn't get a better scenario. God in the flesh, the Word incarnate, standing in the temple, the holy place, among the people that are seeking God, among the religious leaders. He's proclaiming the good news. You couldn't get a better place, a more right place to be. And to serve. And yet Jesus faced opposition as he proclaimed the gospel. Let's not, let's not be naive to think that we'll be any different in our obedience to God's work. That we won't face opposition as well. Again, despite this being good news, there's a reason why people have opposed and still oppose it. I'm going to look in verse 2 and see what happens. And it's going to tell us not only our next point, but it'll tell us why people have and still reject the gospel. No, verse number two says, and, and, and so these religious leaders come up to him and say, tell us by what authority dost thou these things? Or who is he that gave thee this authority? So, so here, here they go. They don't, they don't walk up to him and say, uh, look, shut it. You know, they, don't, they don't tell him to, to quit talking, to quit saying those things. They don't, they don't come up to him and demand him because that would seem a little too abrasive and... Um, you know, maybe self-righteous. So they come across sounding very um, diplomatic and very uh, righteous in their approach. Where do you get this authority? Who gave you the authority to, to do the things that you're doing? They're trying to, to, to completely chop his legs out from under him, completely take away his, his authority in the midst and amongst the people. They challenge this authority. But Why? Why were these religious leaders challenging the authority of Jesus standing in the temple proclaiming the good news? It's simple. They didn't like his message. It's that simple. They didn't like his message and what it meant to them. That's, that's, that's the truth. But what does that mean? Why didn't they like his message? Well, what it meant to them is it impeded upon their religion. They already had a religion. It was working for them. They were gaining from it. And they didn't want Jesus to come in and blow it all up like he was doing. And so his message was impeding upon their religion, which impeded upon their pocketbooks, which it also impeded upon their power, 
which ultimately means it impeded upon their authority. See, these religious leaders of this day, it was them. The people came to them. They had to rely on the high priest. They had to rely on the priest. They had to go to them, and they saw this, and they experienced this, and so they had this absolute authority amongst the people. And Jesus comes in and says, look, I am, and I want to walk with you. I want, I, I'm God. I, I want to relate with you. I want to talk with you. I want you to come to me. I want you, you, you no longer have to do this. All of this before, this temple system, was pointing to me. It was, it was about you trusting me to have a relationship with me. And now I'm here. And so I want you to trust me. I want you to put away all, all these man-made traditions and all these man-made teachings, and I want you to trust me and walk with me. And these religious leaders were like, whoa. Who gave you that authority to do the things you're doing and say the things you're saying? So why was this a problem? What was at the root of all this? The root of all this was pride. It was arrogancy. It was greed. And it was selfishness. It was, it was people saying, we don't want God to mess with our lives. We, we don't want God to rearrange things, even religious people. These were the religious leaders of the day. We don't want God to impose upon our life. We don't want him to change things up and mess things up. We're comfortable. We've got the stuff we want. We're doing the things we want. We, we have our own system, God. Don't come and mess with our stuff. That, that's why, well, they didn't think it was God, but that's, that's what they were doing. They were rejecting God, changing their lives, altering the course of their lives. They didn't want that. They had their lives. And what, what burdens me and, and what bothers me, and, 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 and I think most Christians who want to please the Lord, is this. Why does the church today sound so much like that? God, I have my life. I do what I want to do. I, I have things the way I want them. I don't want you to mess it up. God, I don't want you to change the course of my life. I don't want you to redirect anything. I just want you to make it better. I just want you to make it more comfortable. God, every day I want to wake up and I want you to pour out blessings on me. That's why I want you in my life. I don't want you in my life so that, that you'll take me out of a comfort zone and maybe lead me to somebody who desperately needs you, but, but, but I'm not comfortable being there and, and, and doing those things. I don't want to do any of that. So it makes me want to think or question the people that are filling church houses today. Are we really more like the true disciples of Jesus who did surrender all and gave all? Are we more like the religious leaders that push back against Jesus and his message? Are we more concerned that he's going to change something that we don't want him to change or take something away from us that we don't want him to take, then we are truly relating with him and being used of him. The interesting thing is that these religious leaders had no idea. They had no idea that they were challenging the God that woke them up that morning with mercy 
that allowed their lungs to fill with breath. They had no idea. They were challenging the very God that gave them that life that day. They had no idea they were standing face to face with the God that formed them in their mother's womb. They had no idea they were challenging the authority of the God who gave them the mind to form the thoughts and the tongue to speak the words that would challenge him. They had no idea they were standing right face to face asking him, who gave you the authority? They stood face to face with the supreme authority and that is where the gospel gets its authority. Point number two is the gospel's authority is the supreme authority. Jesus didn't have to say who he got the authority from. He was the supreme authority. He didn't have to explain to them. He didn't have to defend it to them. He stood there as God and he commanded authority. But they challenged it. Again, because they didn't like his message and what it meant for their lives. It boils down to this. Just like they did then, just like people have to do now, just like you and I had to do in our life. If you got saved at one point in time, you and I had to do the same thing. Here's what it boils down to. It boils down to them for then, them then, and for us now. It boils down to this. You have to either accept it or you have to reject it. That's it. That, that's what the gospel and the authority of the gospel, that's what it all boils down to. You either are going to accept that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have eternal life. You either accept that, that God loved you that much, that he took your place, that he died and he rose again. You have to either accept that or you have to say, no, I don't believe that. No, I don't want that. But th that decision boils down to what's in the heart. See, some people reject it, and they're willing to say, you know, I'll play Russian roulette. I'll, I'll, I'll play the game. I'll take my chance. You believe that God died, and you believe that Jesus is the only way? That's good for you, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'll take my chance, and when I die, we'll see what happens. Some people live like that. And some people are okay with that. Some people are okay with somebody sharing this good news with them, amazing news, that they're a sinner. It's obvious they're a sinner. You can look at your life and admit to certain things and say, okay, yeah, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. We do things wrong. And God did something to, to resolve that sin problem. And some people say, I, I, okay, you, you believe that, but I, I don't believe that. And they're okay with moving on with their lives like that. Some people in that same vein believe that the gospel, that Christianity, that the word of God is a fairy tale that only naive people believe. They, they think that. Very educated people, they, they come to a place and they say, you know what, that's only for the naive to have faith in something that you've never seen. You gotta be naive. Some people claim that it's nothing but a man-made system of oppression that robs people of the fun they can have in this life. I've had many conversations with people like that. I just think the Bible is written by man. I mean, it's full of a bunch of rules that tells you what you can't have fun in this world with. I mean, you can live like this, you can't live like that. I, don't wanna, I just want to live my life and have fun. Some people think that's what it is. Some people claim it's just another religion in the midst 
of a world full of other religions. But the truth is this. There's no contenders. There's no comparisons. All the religions in the world are religions. Christianity is a relationship. That's the complete, complete opposites. And so when somebody says Buddhism or Hinduism or, or, or Islam, these things are, are just another way of people to, to find peace in their life and, and, and to be able to live their life in harmony with other people and, and, and do that kind of stuff. And, and Christianity is just like that, absolutely wrong. These are religions that you have to follow this set of rules with. Christianity is a relationship that you follow a person. It's completely different. Completely different. Those who oppose the gospel oppose the God that created them, that gave them this life. And to reject that, as you see in your notes, to reject the gospel is to reject God's love, his grace, his mercy, and to reject his salvation. If you are here or you know someone who's rejecting the gospel because you think that Christians or Christianity, that churches, all they want to do is trap you to take your fun away. Or you think that's what happens when you give your life to the Lord is that all of a sudden you give up having fun. You can't do anything fun anymore. You don't get to do your, th- your own thing anymore. If you're like that or you know someone like that, know this, that sin is a blinder and sin is a liar. It's deceitful. The Bible tells us that sin's pleasures are for a season, but its wages are eternal. That's the truth about sin. Sin, in the reality, is that it keeps you in shackles. And if you never are loosed from the, the shackles of sin, then you will forever remain in that state. Those shackles are cloaked and deceit, and the deceit covers these shackles with things like fun and freedom and fulfillment. But the reality of these shackles is this. They're dragging you to a very slow, miserable, and eternal death. Again, in a lake that's designed to destroy Satan and his followers for all of eternity. See, God's going to bring an end to all of this at one point in time, and it's coming soon. The day is near. We believe it's drawing nearer and nearer. Of course it is. Every day it gets closer. And one day God's going to remove all of the evil, all of the sin, all of the death. He's going to remove all of it. He's going to get rid of all of it. All the enemies of God are going to be ultimately destroyed. And in that finality, you you would think, what what would an almighty God do to destroy his enemies? He's going to put them in a lake that burns with fire forever. That's what the Bible says. And if you're not on the Lord's side, which is the only way to be on the Lord's side, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. If you're not on the Lord's side through Jesus, you will be on the enemy's side that burns in that lake for all of eternity. So it's not about trying to take fun away. It's about trying to loose the shackles and set you free to have eternity with the God that created you, not separated from him.
And so why is the battle raged? Why is the gospel still in opposition? Why is it still so hard 2,000 years later? Why is it still so hard for Christians to share this amazing good news? Why is it so difficult? Why does it face such harsh opposition even in America? A nation that was founded on the word of God that has sent gospel missionaries all over this world that still invest millions upon millions of dollars in mission work and church planning. Why is the gospel still so hard to share here? Because Satan wants his victories to usurp the Lord's victories. Why? Because it was Satan's aim to be God. And that's why he got cast out. And so long as he, the God of this world, as 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 4 says, can keep the lost in the blindness that they're in, blindness of their sin, and he can keep the glorious gospel of salvation hid from them, he will. And so he'll do anything he can, even amongst the people of God. He'll facilitate entertainment. He'll facilitate busyness. He'll facilitate working more and making more money. He'll facilitate stuff and fun. He'll do everything he can to minimize the importance of the gospel and, and, and maximize the importance of this world. He'll do it all, and he is, and it's effective. As long as people will pursue those things and buy the deceit that this is what living is about, then he'll be satisfied taking countless millions, billions, to this eternal abyss of misery that he's going to. So if you're here and you think that God's trying to take your life away from you and take your fun away from you, know that this preacher or any other preacher or any other person who's begging you to surrender your all to Jesus for salvation is just a messenger that wants to make sure you're set free from sin. Maybe even like that firefighter who would see that there's a real problem and would care enough to say, hey, I want to see you saved from those flames. Some musicians make their way. We as Christians need to be passionate about fulfilling the Great Commission. And as members of Trinity Baptist Temple, I, I, I think that we have a great opportunity to see God do a miracle in this community, in this state, and in this nation. I don't, I, don't, I don't limit the Lord at all. I mean, he took 12 people who were common people, fishermen, even a tax collector, a despised tax collector, other people, took these people and truly transformed the known world. He can take a church and a Christian foundation of people who are willing to say, this is good news. We've got to share it. We've got to be passionate about this. Man, I, I, I love my team. I love my family. I, I, I love these, these activities. But there's nothing that gets me more passionate than the gospel and sharing the gospel with people that are in, in chained in shackles with sin, taking them to hell. There should be nothing that supersedes that passion in our lives as the people of God. Nothing. And when we see it creep in and when we see it take effect in our life, we should simply just repent and not let the pride of the Pharisees take root, not let arrogancy or anything else take root. We should say, you know what, God, I'm sorry. I've made my priorities more important than yours, and I'm sorry. I want to become more passionate about your priorities, God. I want to be more passionate 
about your gospel. It's still the power of God and salvation. It's still what saves people today. And if people don't get it, they'll be lost forever. The Apostle Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, he knew that there was opposition awaiting for him in Jerusalem. He, he knew that, that he was going to be thrown in jail, and that he would probably be beaten and lose his life eventually in Acts chapter 20. And he tells them this in verse 24. But none of these things move me. Neither count I my, my life dear unto myself, so that I may finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus, to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. He said, I know I'm going to face opposition. I know I'm going to face difficulty. I know people are going to, to silence me, throw me in jail, stone me, beat me, kill me. I know all of those things lie ahead of me. But you know what? I don't count my life dear to myself anymore because I gave it to Jesus Christ who gave his life for me. It's no longer about me. But what I've determined to do is to finish this path of obedience. I've determined to run this race and finish it. And in the process, testifying of the gospel of the grace. If you say you've accepted the gospel and salvation, and you've received that gift of God, the gift of God, the Holy Spirit, who's transformed you, and he's installed in you the fruit of the Holy Spirit, among which is love. If you say, that's me, I, I've been saved. But you're not willing to share with another person in need, just as you were. Is that not a great contradiction in itself? Were you truly saved? Are you truly saved? Are you a child of God, a child of, of, of the King of Kings? Are you a child, an ambassador of heaven? Are you a citizen of heaven? say, I don't know that I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm begging you. I don't know any other way to say it. I'm begging you. If you're not sure that heaven is your eternal home, I beg you to come down here. Just because you've come to church, just because you know the, 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 the right things to say, just because of all those things doesn't mean you're going to heaven. But if you're not sure you're going to heaven because you have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you're not sure, I'm begging you to come down here. Just let let our, our minister show you, or you say, no, I already know what to do. I just need to surrender my life. I'm begging you to come. Don't let, don't let anything keep you from, from salvation. Don't let pride, arrogance, don't let anything. Again, Christians, we're going to face opposition in this, but let's continue. Continue to proclaim, continue to shine, continue to tell, continue to represent, continue to point others who are in darkness to the light. Let's continue to offer those who are shackled in sin the way of freedom. Let's continue in the work of God and see what God can do. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the opportunity to, to preach the gospel, Lord. Thank you for this example, again, that you gave us as you walked this earth 2,000 years ago. Lord, we realize that if you faced opposition, we're going to face opposition. If you were being obedient, and face that, we're going to face that as well in our obedience. Lord, I pray that we would let none of those things sway us. Or just as the Apostle Paul did, he, he knew there was opposition, he knew there was going to be 
uh, people wanting to stop him and silence him, but he continued because he knew that's what you commanded him to do. And I pray we would have that same resolve, we would have that same kind of faith, and we'd be driven by that same love that you've put inside of us. Lord, help us not give excuses. Help us not be too preoccupied. Help us not be too busy. Help us not find pleasure and joy in other things than the things that you've given to us. Lord, help us be your people. Lord, I feel like you're starting a revival in a sense here at our church. And I pray we don't miss it. I pray we don't give the enemy victory in our families, that we don't give the, the enemy victory in our relationships as a church body. But God, we would continue steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in your work. Lord, just move now in this invitation. We'll praise you for it. In Jesus' name.